Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dead by Danny Movie Review, the only podcast on the entire internet where I'll start off an episode of this podcast, which is unlike any other podcast on the entire internet, by the way, with a direct reference to an obscure YouTube review food channel. And in that podcast, that is unlike any other, and there's no podcast on the entire internet that is similar to it, your host, Danny, that's me, also known as Review Danny, but nobody calls me that, and I just made that up on the spot right now, watches Evil Dead 2 every single day for 30 days. That's me. And like I said, that's the description of this podcast, okay? Everybody... Who, who, who's ever made a podcast has never done this podcast except me because I'm the only one that's done this podcast. And it sure as hell is the only version of this podcast that delivers half hour long episodes every fucking day. Doesn't miss a single day even when a whole hour long file gets corrupted and you can't use any of it and all of your backups are bad. So... <laughs> I should stop being hung up on that because a lot of stuff is falling apart in my life currently, but I have to do this podcast to keep myself remotely sane, so I'm going to keep doing that. Today is episode 20 of the podcast. Didn't think I was making it this far. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to be the 27th today. Yeah. This podcast is going to be on the 27th of April, which means we're just that much closer. We're just 10 days away from the end of this podcast. And then I'm not going to know what to do with my life because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do with this podcast. I don't know why. I don't know. Because I did this podcast to keep myself creative and uh, creatively satiated in a period of time where I the only equipment I have available to myself is audio recording equipment and editing software, which very soon is going to be seized from me by Adobe. So I'm going to have to pay them their $300 because apparently the version I have of Adobe is non-genuine because it's an older version. Kill me now. But that's besides the point. What is the point is that I saw Evil Dead 2 today. And not only that, but I've been very intrigued by the filmography of Sam Raimi for essentially all my life. I'm pretty sure as long as I can remember my first ever favorite movie, my first ever obsession in film or fiction was Spider-Man. Uh, when I was in preschool, had a Spider-Man blanket from this Spider-Man 2002 film. And I, and I have my name written on it. It says Daniel Reguino on there in black puff paint. My mother wrote it. Um, to this day, I still have that blanket. It's still on my bed. I don't use it as my main blanket, but in the winter, when it gets really cold and I want to layer up, you bet your ass I put that bitch on. And uh, growing up, a lot of my favorite action figures, I never actually had a, a Spider-Man action figure, but what I did have was a Rhino action figure. I had a Shocker action figure. I had the new Goblin from Spider-Man 3, because when you're a kid, Spider-Man 3 is dope, because I was a child when that movie came out. When I became an adult, I bought my first ever Spider-Man action figure in the year of our Lord 2019, and it's standing right here in front of me, and it's one of the biggest things that me and my baby cousin have in common. She's two years old, and essentially all of her life, <laughs> all of her life thus far, I've been, I've been subtly planting 
the things that I love into her subconscious. So uh, Scooby-Doo. I'm a massive Scooby-Doo fan. I've been a Scooby-Doo fan all of my life. Um, I, I gave her a big old Scooby-Doo teddy bear and a little Scooby-Doo toy she can hold in her little hands. And I like to show her the Scooby-Doo cartoon shows, like the What's New Scooby-Doo. That's the one she likes. And we like to sit on her couch. And Obviously, we can't do this now because I've been separated. I haven't seen her in a while since quarantine. But what I got to get in before quarantine started is that I showed her a little movie called Into the Spider-Verse. And ever since I showed her that, which was right before quarantine started, so uh, almost two months ago, every single day she watches Into the Spider-Verse at least twice. And I, I gave her, and back to the, the, the idea of toys, I dropped off some toys uh, that I purchased or that I got my hands on uh, last year. I have a bunch of little mini Spider-Man Far From Home toys uh, from the movie theater. And I had a shit ton of them. And I, I only really have one on my desk, and I have the one from Spider-Man Homecoming when that film came out. And I, those are the only ones I want. I just want one of each for my desk because, you know, it's a cool thing to collect. And when Spider-Man Far From Home 2 or Spider-Man Homecoming 3, whatever, when that one comes out, they'll release another one, and I'll put it next to them. I'll have three on my desk. It, But I had, like, you know, four other ones. You know, I don't need four. So I, I put on some gloves and they're packaged, too, so they're not infected or anything. They were in a package, put on some gloves, uh, got a bunch of my favorite Spider-Man comic books from when I was a kid, and a bunch of my favorite Scooby-Doo learn-to-read picture books and some Archie comics, and I threw those all into a plastic sealed bag, and I, uh, I also threw in a bunch of those little Spider-Man toys, and I went and delivered it to my aunt and uncle at their house, and now... Their daughter is obsessed with Spider-Man as I once was. So I guess you can say she's on track to be doing her own podcast about the Evil Dead films. Because not only that, I also sent them a copy of the original Spider-Man movies. I think because she's so small and she just kind of wants to be stimulated by colors and music and stuff when she's watching uh, television. It's usually why cartoons are so appealing to children. I think I'm just going to show her. Uh, Spider-Man 3, because that's the one that's the silliest and goofiest and most zany, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's what she's going to start watching. And she's going to be, and I also bought myself an action figure from Target over the summer. Uh, it's just a regular action figure. He can move his arms and legs and that's really it. And it's just Spider-Man, his costume to make up for a whole childhood of not be, not actually owning the Spider-Man action figure himself, always having to play with the villains. That being said, when I was in preschool, I apparently, according to my parents, would wear a Spider-Man uh, like costume, like Halloween costume, every single day. And I don't uh, doubt that. But th I've talked for seven minutes so far about Spider-Man, when this episode is meant to be about another Sam Raimi film he made immediately after the Spider-Man trilogy, however, one that he wrote before the Spider-Man trilogy, and that is a film called Drag Me to Hell. Now, Drag Me to Hell is a 2009 horror film. It's a return to horror for Raimi after making his massive blockbuster Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, it's it's definitely bigger budget than some of his other horror movies that he's made before. But it's also significantly smaller budget than the Spider-Man movies that he was used to making. And Drag Me to Hell is... is uh, the reason why I watched it is because, one, it's another Sam Raimi horror film. 
And I feel like there's a lot to discuss there about Sam Raimi's style and his horror comedy and his whole uh, shtick he has going on with his horror films and whether or not Drag Me to Hell is even an Evil Dead film. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen some theories that it is. Uh, I will admit it is not my first time seeing Drag Me to Hell. I watched it today. Um, the first time I watched Drag Me to Hell, it was a vastly different experience. I was, I was flabbergasted while I was watching it. I was confused. I was shocked. And that ending, that ending really, I didn't, I, I really didn't see it coming. I don't know. I probably should have, but I really didn't. And I, I think I'm going to go into very, very minor spoilers for Drag Me to Hell. If you want to see Drag Me to Hell, you don't want to know anything, just pause the podcast and watch Drag Me to Hell. If you don't mind and you want to hear what I think about Drag Me to Hell and the context of Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 specifically, um, by all means, keep listening because I'm going to keep talking. So Drag Me to Hell is a film about a woman who gets cursed by a gypsy and essentially a demon is tormenting her for a period of a couple days before it comes after her to drag her soul to hell. You know, it's right there in the title. And the plot of the film essentially revolves around our main character, uh, who is, her name is Christine Brown, who is trying to use the days, the three days she has before she's doomed to uh, shake this demon or find a remedy or find a way to get rid of it. So the demon is called Lamia, and it, it is uh, put upon her when she is she she is a, okay. Let, let's let's reel this back in. Christine is a loan officer or loan like a person at a at a bank who who dishes out the loans and decides when to give extensions and stuff like that on loans and shit like that. And she wants to get the position of assistant manager, and to do so, she has to make the quote unquote tough decisions and that tough decisions include uh, her denying this old gypsy woman who's just been kind of grossing her out in a sequence that is both unsettling and grossly funny. Uh, She denies her an extension on her loan, which causes her house to get repossessed and uh, quote unquote shames the woman. Uh, The woman gets dragged out by security, even more shamed and everything and what follows is a sequence in the parking garage later that night where they fight and it's really gross and nasty and the gypsy woman takes out her dentures and starts biting on Christine's jaw and everything in her mouth and it's really gross and nasty and everything. And it's a really fun sequence to watch. It's both uh, very, very scary as a horror film because it's unsettling and thrilling and everything, but also because it's so gross is kind of funny. It's not the gross-out humor of Evil Dead 2, where there's fountains of blood and it's cartoonish and ridiculous. It's gross in a ever so slightly more realistic sense, because I wouldn't call the film realistic, but the the maggots and the flies and the saliva and the goop and the disgusting, the disgusting nature of the things that haunt Christine in this film are tangible and real, and they're not... They're, they're highly exaggerated to the point of making them funny, but they're in by their nature just kind of gross to a, to a, to someone who would watch this and not know that it's meant to be kind of funny. I can see why it could just 
I can see why it can come across as just gross, you know, <laughs> and weird and just weird, you know? So what happens is that uh, Christine and her boyfriend, after being cursed, visit a psychic who essentially reveals to Christine that there's a demon going after her. And after a bunch of bit weird, spooky occurrences, uh, Christine keeps getting left alone in her house where the, the house itself starts to shake and come alive and demons punch her in the face and shit like that. It's it's a very intricate plot. It's very fun. It's very interesting to, to see it unfold because at the beginning, it seems very mundane and it seems like the, the horror elements are meant to be disturbing and gross, but not in a violent way. This movie isn't violent. It's just spooky, you know? And I feel like Raimi does uh, helpless horror best because we see what happens, what the consequences of this of this demon catching her are in the very beginning of the film. The opening scene shows that in 1969, there was a case similar to this where a boy got dragged to hell, like a young boy. So we know what can't, what is going to happen to her if she doesn't solve her problem. But also by the beginning of it, at the beginning of it, the horror elements are played completely straight, even though they might come across a little wacky and they might make you chuckle if you're into uh, horror camp, which Bro, I wrote a 10-page article about horror camp and just just in the context of Dracula. So we can get into that another time. I might dedicate a whole episode to that. But, but the way Drag Me to Hell utilizes horror camp is f- far subtler than Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 is in-your-face, ridiculous, and funny, and there's wacky jokes and everything. Um, Drag Me to Hell, for the most part, it's really unsettling and, and creepy because... I feel like, in my opinion, the scariest horror movies are when a regular person who is fully uh, vulnerable is in a position where they are trapped. So Ash is trapped in the cabin in Evil Dead. He can't go out. The cabin is the safest place to be, and the cabin itself is trying to kill him. In Drag Me to Hell, she is never safe, no matter where she is. This demon, this thing is always there. She is helpless. She is trapped. She is alone at home. There's literally a fucking Satan right outside her door trying to kill her all the time. That whole unstoppable force thing that makes her feel trapped and vulnerable is something that makes me feel afraid. You know, it's something that always that that it, it when used well is always and when it's, especially when the character is not uh when the character is engaging you know it it it's so effective and christine is not the best person ever you know she has flaws she wants to be a good person she's just a regular person she does bad things sometimes but she she really has no bad intentions and she's just trying to get by and live her life and the fact that all this shit befalls her, like the, all this stuff comes down on her, is such a is such a upsetting experience to watch. And that's what Raimi intended. And I think that's what he does best with the horror. A- around the third, the beginning of the third act of this film, it it veers from subtle horror camp into overt Evil Dead style horror camp. Because I'm at this point, I'm going to start getting into a little bit more spoilers. 
for this, but as you've been warned. Essentially, they she eventually comes to the point where she wants to perform a seance to get rid of to expel this demon, you know? And it involves a woman who was experienced in the Lamia, and she was in the prologue, the opening scene of the film, uh, placing her hand, uh, well, allowing the demon into her, and then placing her hand on a goat, which will be decapitated. That sequence is straight out of Ash vs. Evil Dead. The, all the way down to the, the sound effects, to the CG and makeup distorted faces, to the literal... Like, the makeup that one of the characters gets when he becomes possessed is literally the same exact demon face that Pablo has when he gets possessed. It's seriously, they become deadites in the sequence. And as the demon passes from body to body, they become possessed as if they are a deadite. It's really the point where I realized, huh, maybe this movie is a little bit more evil dead than I thought. You know? At the beginning of the movie, it's shot very conventionally, like a well-made, well-shot horror movie with imagery that is original and uh, creepy looking, you know, because it's about more religious, more realistic things than Necronomicon and curses and extra-dimensional demons. It's like things that feel more tangible to an American audience, like hell and religion and gypsy women for some reason, which I felt, which to me felt a little bit outdated, but I, I don't know. I feel like the simplicity of it is something we can identify with as a Western audience, I guess. But, uh, like this whole notion of like witchcraft and, and hell and, and, and stuff that most people are familiar with by making something scary in like that sense, it was very creepy and very conventionally shot and very, uh, very much like a regular horror movie. But by the time we're in this third act, there's there's like a lot of crank zooms and Dutch angles and and all of these kind of like really fast dolly shots going into characters' faces and stuff that is very very identifiable as things from the Evil Dead franchise. <laughs> Let's just say, and especially in that seance sequence where like the goat starts talking with the voice of the demon and and it, it like literally to the point where it only thing it's missing is a a threat to swallow their souls you know that's all that's missing and uh and i i personally love that i loved that element of it because the film got me jumping shouting and saying holy shit and everything and by the time we were at that point i was both uh, tense my butthole was both clenched and i was chuckling at the same time in anticipate in anticipation for scary scenes and also jokes or both, because again, as Sam Raimi always says, the buildup for a tense scene and the buildup for a joke are the same structure. You know, a joke is just build up, build up, build up, payoff. Uh, when you're doing tension and horror, it's build up, build up, build up, payoff. So if you can mend those two things, you can have a more effective scare or a more effective joke. Like if you build up a whole scene to be really scary and the payoff is something excessive and funny, it becomes funnier. And, and he really, he really puts that into practice in drag me to hell and something he would end up putting to practice in, uh, Ash versus evil dead. And, 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 and when you think backwards in the previous evil dead films and especially evil dead too, 
uh, one scene that comes to mind is the scene in Evil Dead 2 uh, where he's in the living room. He just chopped up Linda and he uh, encounters a, a like ghost rocking chair going back and forth. That scene goes from tense and spooky to ridiculous because then he's talking to himself in the mirror and his mirror self is talking back to him <laughs> and his hand gets possessed and then he slams it on the floor with the sound of a full-sized man falling to the ground. So the way he balances tone and comedy within the horror in Evil Dead 2, he brings over into Drag Me to Hell. Although in Drag Me to Hell, some, I will admit some of the uh, some of those elements don't come across maybe as intended just because of the very low quality CGI that was used at times, you know? Um, it, it, it's, it's not something I expected to see, so that's probably why it caught me off guard, but there's a lot of sequence in this, a lot of sequences in this where instead of using practical effects or gore or, or anything else really like practical blood and, and eyeballs and shit like that, uh, they, they went with the choice of doing it with CG and I can understand being dragged to, to hell in CG. Yeah, that I get. But having a character's eyeballs pop out onto another character's face, but in doing that in CG and putting like weird brain matter on her face in like the worst 2009 CG, it really like it would have it would have been so much funnier if it was practical is what I'm trying to say. And the scenes in this movie that are done practically are great. And when they're done with CGI, they, it, I, I hate to admit it, they really took me out of it in a way that even Ash vs. Evil Dead, which has some iffy CGI, didn't really do as much. Like, it didn't take me out as much. But again, Ash vs. Evil Dead was made in a more modern age where After Effects and compositing programs as such have become more powerful since then. So I can forgive that, especially because overall, Drag Me to Hell was a good time. Like, I did enjoy it overall. And... Uh, that ending, that is a good ending. I'm not going to lie. And and you can tell the movie has really gone full camp uh, by the time you get to the graveyard scene and it, it shot like the finale of Evil Dead 2013. There's like mud floods coming down and Dutch angles and lightning and she's announcing to the sky that she's going to deliver a button. And it, it's very wacky by the end of it. And I think if you're into that, you'll be into that. And I'm into that. And really... Um, all this movie was missing and all this movie was uh, making me excited for for when I watched Evil Dead 2 and I got to groovy time groovy. now groovy time is the segment that I do on every episode where I talk about the scene in Evil Dead 2 in which Ash attaches his ever-so-famous chainsaw hand and pronounces to the world, Groovy. It's his changing point as the character. It's something I find to... I find iconic and familiar... And I, uh, I, I, I familiarize it with everything that I love about Evil Dead 2. I have it tattooed on my arm. It's a very special scene to me. Uh, the scene itself is is very short and brief and not that funny, but the what it represents to me is something a little bit more. 
And when I get to the scene, I always have some sort of reaction to it. Usually it's just something of a smile or a cheer or, or a laugh or something. I did watch Evil Dead 2 after Drag Me to Hell today, so that's a change of pace. Usually I watch Evil Dead 2 first, and then I'll watch another movie in case I don't have time to watch another movie. But today I, I, was, I got ballsy, I guess. What can I say? So by the time I was watching Evil Dead 2, I came off of Drag Me to Hell, which is a film I'm, I've only ever seen one other time. So it was very, very fun to watch again. Um, so I was in a good mood going into Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 is very fun to watch. What can I say? Although a movie can only be so much fun to watch after the 23rd time, you know. But, uh, but I, it's still fun to watch. And by the time we get to the groovy scene, it made me realize that like not, not, not many movies have something as special as that scene. You know, Drag Me to Hell is made by Sam Raimi. It's probably in the Evil Dead universe, you know. Especially because of some of the uh, striking similarities to the worlds of Drag Me to Hell and Evil Dead. And again, I love how self-contained Drag Me to Hell is. Whereas there's very, like it's so self-contained, has a beginning, middle, and a very definitive end. That you don't really have to, A, make a sequel, or B, make an explicit connection to the Evil Dead films. You can just infer that it's in the same universe because you see something that's that's similar, you know? But but Dragon Man to Hell, as much as I enjoyed it, there's no scene in Dragon Man to Hell that hits quite as hard as the groovy scene. So it it, it, it a big old nod and a smile. But uh yeah, yeah, groovy time was good this week and I think this was a good episode of the podcast. <laughs> that being said. If you like me and you want to see more of my content or stuff like that and uh, stuff I post on Instagram, my memes and such, you can follow me at DCR Films. If you want to see what I find interesting or funny, I like to share stuff like that over on my Twitter, at Dan Reguino. If you want to find out whether our podcast is coming to uh, people like you, you know, I, I think that's that came out wrong, but I was trying to do with... Uh, like a PBS thing, like thanks to people like you, but it really came out wrong and I probably shouldn't have said it that way, but you can go to anchor.fm slash dead by Danny and see if we're on your podcasting app of choice, or you could just check your podcasting app of choice. We're on most of them. (laughs) That being said, I would really greatly appreciate it. If you told your friends to come get some and swallow this podcast. I also don't know if I said that at the end of the last episode. I think I didn't. All right. I'll see you tomorrow.